Hello and welcome to NAIS Member Voices. I'm Scott Donaldson. Before we jump in, I'd like to thank this episode's sponsor, ERB. ERB is a nonprofit educational advisory with a 95 year history of serving independent schools. Their assessments and services extend beyond the measures of academic performance to include understanding students' well being, belonging, and social emotional skills. In this way, they support the work of educators and families to unlock students' full potential. Today, I'll be speaking with Stacy Roshan, former teacher and director of innovation and educational technology, and Jenna Borelli, director of wellness and health education at the Bullis School in Potomac, Maryland. Stacy and Jenna, welcome to Member Voices. Thank you for having us. My pleasure. Let's start by talking about student health and well-being. Let's start with you, Stacy. From your experience as a teacher and working in the classroom, what did you see happening? What trends did you notice in terms of student health and well-being? And what are you noticing today? For me, one thing that was really interesting was observing my students, particularly in some of my higher level classes, my AP classes, and seeing some of the anxiety that they were carrying in on a daily basis. And it really just resonated strongly with me because I was also that type of student, that, you know, student who's kind of like that high flyer and who wants to do really, really well. And this kind of perfectionism that I struggled with was something that I saw a lot in a lot of my students. And so that kind of was something that sparked the beginning of my journey into seeing how as a teacher, I could implement strategies in my classroom to really help alleviate some of the stress and anxiety from these very, you know, high performing students who had a lot of expectations, be it from their parents or from the college they were trying to get into, wherever it was coming from internally themselves too. And leveraging technology was just one of the biggest ways that I found to really help my students just through a variety of things. And it started with a flipped classroom for me. But that's kind of the beginning of my journey into my interest into the well-being of my students and how I could help guide them. I definitely want to talk about more of those strategies in depth as we go along. But Jenna, also want to get your perspective as the Director of Wellness and Health Education. What are you seeing right now from your perspective in regards to student health and well-being? I think my journey here has been around educating faculty with the idea that students are never going to reach their full potential unless they are healthy and well. And I see all of our faculty and our coaching staff here at Bullis or at any school as junior counselors. Like they're going to see the kids that are struggling in their classes long before most likely a counselor is going to see them. And so teaching our faculty how to recognize signs for like the kids that are really perfection seeking, like Stacy described, where they're like, you know, the duck pedaling so hard underwater, but they look perfect above the surface. They see that before we do. And how do we get that kid support? Because that's the kid that's often not showing up to counseling in emotional distress because 
they're so perfection seeking on an issue. And so I think it's partnering with your teachers and faculty and really all constituents at a school around how do we notice our kids? How do we know them well? And how do we get them support when they're struggling? And so one way we do that at Bullis is I feel very strongly about counselors not just living in the corners of your buildings, you know, like those secret places and it's so much stigma associated with going to see the counselor. So we try to be at assembly out, you know, kids interact with our counseling staff for a variety of different reasons and kind of reduce the embarrassment kids would feel about seeing a counselor in the first place by just increasing our visibility. That's helpful. Uh, And can you talk more about how you establish that sort of relationship with the faculty and staff, how you get buy-in on that, and then how you at Bullis uh, approached uh, building that relationship and making sure that the teachers are equipped to incorporate social-emotional learning strategies and other best practices into their classroom? Yeah. So this is my coming up to the end of my second year at Bullis. And something that I kind of carried over, brought with me from my previous school is linking our summer reading, having some of it be around student wellness and really recent research or recent trends amongst adolescents so that we're not just talking about kids in our little bubble, but we're seeing adolescents kind of in trends globally. And so we tie that to our summer reading And we give guiding questions for folks to explore while they're doing their summer reading. And then during opening days, which is like the week prior to school starting, this year, myself and our director of DEI had a three-hour session with our faculty as part of like our built-in onboarding, where we're going through strategies, where we're talking about like our DEI director and myself are like working together nonstop because I firmly believe like a community can't be well unless it's diverse, equitable, and inclusive. Mm-hmm. And so how do we piggyback off one another and give our teachers real tools based on our readings or based on research and empowering people? I think teachers often feel that they don't have the strategies or like, I don't ask the hard questions because I'm not a counselor, but really bringing SEL in the class is just about noticing the kids in front of you like taking an effort to get to know them. And you know when they're off then if you really know who they are. And just giving strategies of like, there's one thing that's going to click for all kids. So like Stacy said, some kids will really respond well to tech and doing like a emoji check-in or using things like Pear Deck or, you know, just not always using strategies where the kid has to raise their hand and shout out in front of the class. That's just not every kid, and every kid is not going to be seen that way. So giving real tools of how do you reach different kids different ways, and how do you really try to get to know the kid in front of you? Yeah, I'd love to hear more about those strategies. And Stacy, maybe let's start with you on the approach that you mentioned uh, relating to technology and how that helped you and your students in the classroom. To me, one of the things about technology is just providing a variety of platforms for students to be able to respond so that they can find the way to interact in a way that feels most comfortable to them. And it does definitely begin with trust. I think the most important thing that anybody can do in 
the first month of their teaching is to really focus on using whatever they're going to use all year in their classroom and building students comfort with some of the ways that you do things in your classroom building a way that they feel comfortable and they feel confident and you know that that trust is kind of the driver of what you're doing over i mean you're you're teaching content obviously but really focusing on how our class works and how you can communicate with me so some of the ways that i really lean on technology is just giving a variety of ways for this interaction to happen so one thing that i'm very interested in is participation and you know like back when i was in school the primary way of participating in class was really raising my hand or being called on and those two things didn't work very well for me and you know so it's very often that a student like that might be seen as like somebody who doesn't want to participate as much where the real thing might be that you know what maybe the student needs a little bit more think time or maybe the student just is really hesitant to respond orally they need more time to maybe write something before they're ready to speak it out loud and so something as simple as that you know we can provide a tool like jenna was saying like pear deck pear deck is a platform that is kind of like you're giving a presentation a google slides presentation except that every student can now interact with it from their own device the other real benefit of this is that when students respond, the way it's projected on you know, the classroom projector is anonymously. There's no name attached to it. The teacher has that data that they can look back at later, but it is projected for the rest of the class without a name attached. So this provides students you know, a couple of things. First of all, they know their name isn't attached to their answer, so they might feel more free to really give a response that you know that they're thinking in the moment that maybe they're not ready to put their name on but also it gives students every student an opportunity to really weigh in and i think that's really important too when we're talking about hearing from a diversity of thought you know it's very easy to just hear from a couple of hand raisers and think we know the direction of the thought in the classroom but it might be very different when we give every single student a way to kind of make their idea seen. Going back to this idea of participation and making sure that everybody feels heard and seen, but also that people have a way of feeling really comfortable and contributing. Yeah, uh, Jenna, other strategies, either on the tech tools side or just other, you know, examples, uh, practical examples of things that, that have worked in your experience? Yeah, I mean, I think a classroom that's rooted in SEL, like that work really starts with the teacher, not with the kids. And so one of the articles I was referencing when we talked about summer reads is we read an article from UC Berkeley's uh, Greater Good Science Center, and it was around calm, clear, and kind. And it was titled like what students want from their teachers. And it talked about their research at Berkeley and relating that to like the teachers that are the best at SEL and they have these three characteristics where they're calm in their body. And so like we talked a lot about in our opening days, like the importance of teacher self-care, like putting on your oxygen mask first, making sure you have time to care for yourself because the reality is being a teacher can be an all-consuming job. 
that, you know, is more than just the eight to three you're at school. And so in the beginning, let's carve out time where you're going to take care of yourself during the school day. And so we asked all faculty to set that goal for themselves, whether it's at lunch, I'm going to eat my lunch with colleagues, or I'm going to practice like mindfulness every morning, like have everyone set some sort of wellness goal and like name out loud, like how hard their job is. It's really hard to be a teacher and it's really demanding. And you get a lot of asks from a lot of different folks throughout the day, whether it's admin, fellow teachers, students, parents, and that can be really overwhelming. So like teaching our teachers, like the importance of self-care and so they can stay calm in their body, like kids are going to feel much more likely to approach you. If they're like clear and clear in mind, it's about being able to remain present with your students. And that's another hard thing because there's, we know teachers have a lot of demands, but if you're present, the kids notice. The kids notice if you're a distracted teacher and if you're like maybe on your own cell phone or like responding to emails while they're working or if you're actually present, like overseeing their work, it makes a huge difference in the connection the kid feels with you. And being kind, like it talks about like being kind in heart and like having a person, it's like more than just having a nice personality, but it's like a place where kids can come to you and not feel judged, that they can tell you the truth of like, I'm really behind. And yeah, that might be really disappointing to hear as a teacher, but that the kids can come to you and tell you the truth and that you're on their side and want to see them succeed. And so how do you partner together with your students? And I think when we talked about this with our faculty, it got a lot of traction amongst our K through 12 faculty because everyone was able to validate the other's feelings of like, you're right. We talk about this, you know, week one or two by week like 15 and you're maybe halfway through the school year, we're not so great at taking care of ourselves and we get stuck doing all the extra tasks. We had our faculty buddy up, share their goals and like become one another's accountability partners to say like, check in, make sure this person's doing this. And I think it's had quite a bit of success. Like I know my buddy has checked in on me and my wellness goal several times throughout the year. And so just like doing small things like that, that again, aren't that hard, like Stacey was saying, but it just acknowledges the work your teachers do. And if your teachers are well, like your students are going to be so so much better off and they're more likely to be well. So prioritizing the faculty wellness is just as important as the kids. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I'm curious, uh, Stacey, from your perspective, how you approached wellness and your own wellness and health and well-being uh, when you were in the classroom and uh, if any of this had any application uh, for you. I'm thinking a lot about going back to when I first flipped my classroom and something that I really was feeling was this overflow of anxiety from my students. You know, they were, before I flipped my classroom, they were going home with really tough homework problems to do. And, you know, I would do this lecturing class and a lot of times it would take up a big chunk of our class time. And then we would do some group work, but we didn't have as much time as we ever wanted to do that part of class, the group work, the problem solving together. And then they knew that they had to go home with this really tough problem set. So there was just a lot of anxious energy that I always felt at the end of class. And that really rippled over to me. 
I really was feeling it. And, you know, a lot of times that's what we do as teachers. Like we take on whatever we're feeling from our students. We're taking on those stressors. And when I flipped my classroom, my biggest goal was to alleviate some of this homework anxiety. And I was able to achieve that so well in this high level class. And immediately I felt that my anxiety went down just because I was feeling less of it from my students. And people would even observe my class and say like, you know, you just go with the flow and, you know, it just feels like so much fun. And I am not really a go with the flow type of person, but because I had like offloaded this lecture onto video, I kind of got out my energy of like some of that controlling energy that a lot of us have as teachers, right? And I could be more flexible in the classroom to really make it revolve around my students, what their questions were, and really make it a much more student-owned place. And so part of why the flip classroom was such a success for me, and also part of why as much as I love the flip classroom, I never tell people they should be doing the flip classroom too. I tell the benefits of it for me. But I think that it's really important for us to know ourselves as educators, like know our personality and know our style and really embrace those things and make those our strengths and look for strategies that are going to work well for us. Yeah. And I'd like to ask both of you, actually, if you're willing to share how you personally approach, you know, self-care in your roles and in your professional life today, where do you turn to for inspiration when you're having a hard day or experiencing challenges at your role? So Jenna, maybe we'll start with you on that one. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think self-care is a vital part of being a therapist just because in this role, you hear a lot of sad stories every day or hardships people are going through and to not carry it with you. I'm also a mom of three young kids. And so I don't want to be bringing like my work to my home. And that being said, like there's not a lot of time in my day where I'm not busy because of my role here at Bullis and then like my personal life with like three young children. And so I think I build it in during my commute. So my commute to school or is around 25 minutes and I'm pretty intentional around that time. Like what fills me up or how I take care of myself is my connection to others and feeling connected to like my community. And that's really vital to me. And so usually either on my call, on my drive to work or on my drive home, I call and connect with someone in my life, whether it's a friend, a family member, and just have a conversation that Who knows what we'll talk about, but just staying connected to folks that I really care about is really important. And so like for me, being new to Potomac area, you know, we moved from California and I like moved here and knew no one. Like that first six months or so, I noticed like in myself, like feeling more anxious, feeling more depressed because I wasn't connected to people in the same way after going through like a big transition. And so just being really intentional about connecting to people in my community is really important to me. Stacy, how about you? I'm not going to say that it's not really, really tough. I really, <laughs> really struggle with exactly this much of the time. But I would say for me, there's a couple of things. One of them is that I'm very introverted. And at points in my life, I try and kind of like 
ignore that or I wasn't so aware of like what being an introvert means and, and how that really works. But now I am more aware of it. I've kind of embraced myself more and t- taken some of like, you know, this is my perception, like feeling some shame around it or whatever, whatever it might be. Like, you know, I should be talking to people all day or connected all day. But now knowing that sometimes like the best thing that I can do for myself is kind of take a time out, kind of close my door and just reflect or be or whatever it might be, accept that and make sure that I'm also taking these time out and recharging myself in a way that I need it. Because I love, you know, like there's many days that are at a school that are just like completely go, go, go and adrenaline is just going and those days they can be exhausting but they can also be really fun but they can only be really fun if they're not like an everyday thing and it's like that we're always in this go 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 adrenaline rush state because that becomes really really unhealthy so uh, you know like everything is this delicate balance and I think that's part of what makes it really difficult but I'm going to go back to saying what I was saying before in like having an awareness of ourselves and what we need individually and that that can look really, really different for different people. And so for some people, you know, like a lunchtime, being able to talk to a lot of people around them is really important to them. Like that's the best thing that they can do. And for other people on some days, having a lunch break where maybe you eat lunch alone or you eat lunch outside with some greenery around you, with maybe just one or two people around you and not being in the middle of a lunchroom might be really important. Um, And having that awareness and knowing what you need before it becomes like a crisis for you because we don't take care of our needs, it does at some point become a crisis. So kind of being aware of that ahead of time, but also just like this community conversation around it, like Jenna's saying, is so important. And I know that you know, like when I started teaching, I didn't have that. And I don't think there was that awareness or this conversation around it when I started teaching. But, you know, that would have just helped me in so many ways, even to have a buddy to check in or somebody to just say, like, you know, how are you doing? And by doing this, we're also modeling it for our students. So there's just so many ripple effects that are that can happen when we do this for ourselves. And when we do it for other colleagues in our community and then we take that awareness back to you know what we're doing with students also there's one thing too that our faculty have kind of started on their own when we think about wellness so we have like a lunchtime walking group that anyone can join and our campus we're very lucky that it's on like 100 acres it's a huge campus and there's trails around and so we have this walking group that explores campus and walks on lunch and it's like a good way to get their wellness need met. And we have another faculty member who used to be a professional yoga teacher. And on Wednesdays after school for 50 minutes, she guides faculty like her peers through yoga as far as like, you know, a wellness activity for everyone, but also a way that she can give back and like to her colleagues and friends as a way to take care of one another. And so our faculty, I think, are really good at noticing needs and then problem solving, like making a plan and being like, well, let's do this. I'll do that. Like they're, they're very willing to like help one another out. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I love that example. 
I also know that you all implemented a program called Hashtag Win It Social. So I want to hear a little bit about that. I'm not sure who, who wants, to, wants to take that one, but love to hear more. I can take it. So Win It Social is a program that we're actually using from 6th grade to 12th grade in our advisory lessons. And it has pre-made lessons around how you don't let technology control you. It's like how you can control technology and kind of be in the driver's seat. And it's also going against this urge of like, oh, technology is bad. You know, don't use your phone all the time. Like the kids are. So why are we fighting that losing battle? Like how do we teach them to use technology for good in a way that empowers them? And so they have a lot of lessons around like your followers. Who are you following? Like what content are you choosing to see? And how does that relate to your well-being? And then it has like live lessons based on current events where all kids log in through their laptop and where there's surveys that are anonymous that go out or things they vote on that you show the data and then you can compare that data from your classroom, like your advisory classroom with trends in your state or region and then trends nationally. And you can compare your classroom to like what other kids around the country said. And it sparks a lot of really great discussion amongst your group just around, huh, I wonder why at Bullis, this is our trend here at our school, but it's different nationally. Like, what do you think is going on there? And you can take deep dives into relevant topics. That's great. I also wanted to just ask generally if, if there were any other practical strategies that you all have found successful, or I guess we could talk about the flip side of that, right? Two things that you have tried that maybe haven't worked uh, so well. For me, I guess when I, it's not necessarily a don't, but it's a challenge with when you think about wellness and SEL for in the classroom or with your faculty is you need to have buy-in from the top. Like your head of school or your board needs to feel like this is important. And so I think if other schools are going to try to make changes in the way that Bullis is, I would say it's really important to make sure your leadership also believes in the importance of wellness and self-care in a way that's sustainable for the school, but also empowers teachers to say what they need and know that someone will believe them or hear them. And I think that takes work because it's around like changing culture at some places. Looking forward, I'm curious what you would both like to see happen in in these areas of, you know, faculty and student health and well-being moving forward. We've talked about a lot of the great work that you have done and you are currently doing, but what do you see happening? How do you see things evolving or how do you hope things will evolve, you know, one, three, five years down the line? So I think my position here at Bullis School is only a year old. This is a brand new position and it's not something that I think was regularly talked about. Kind of like what Stacey was saying when she started, this wasn't even conversations that people were having. Mm -hmm. So I think for the next one to three years, it's continuing with kind of early education with our faculty and around like our community's wellness is just not held in the counseling department or it's everyone's responsibility to make our community well. And like how you show up to work matters. Like how you engage with the kids 
matter. The little things we do have big impacts on the kids in front of us. And so how can we, we come to work and be more mindful about how we're showing up and how the kids perceive us? Like I was joking with a colleague the other day around, like every time a kid cries in your classroom, you don't need to send them to the counselor. And they're like, what? What do you mean? Of course I do. Like they're crying. I'm going to send them to the counselor. And I pushed back and I was like, you know, just because a kid's crying, maybe they need to see the counselor. Or maybe it's like you could pull them out into the hallway and check in with them because you've built a relationship with that kid. And we don't know why they're crying. And so just sending someone down the hall crying isn't helpful. But like pulling them out and saying like, hey, and having a three to five minute conversation with your student in the hallway and saying like, I see you. I can tell you're in distress. What can we do? Often teachers can handle this, what we're doing in the counseling room. They can have this conversation because it usually comes out to like the student just wants to be heard. They want some adult to know the experience they're having. And once they're heard, like they can move on or pro start engaging in problem solving. And it's not always like, I can't handle that. And I think a lot of teachers feel that like, this is too big for me, or I can't handle that when they really can. They, a, a lot of teachers have great empathy and are able to connect with their kids. It's just empowering them to do so. I think that's the challenge probably for the next three to five years. Yeah. And Stacy, uh, what about from your perspective? What do you see moving forward? Tech is always overwhelming because tech is always changing and it's, very fast. And in just the last couple months with, you know, all this AI and chat GPT and the conversations around it. And if you feel like you need to stay ahead of the game on this stuff, like it's impossible. It is literally impossible. It's moving way too fast. And we can't always be the expert in absolutely everything. And I think for a lot of teachers, like they want to be the expert all the time and they want to stay one step ahead of their students all the time. And the reality is it's not possible. And so I think that can cause a lot of anxiety. It's just something that I think we need to kind of shift on and kind of own that it's impossible. It's not just us, right? It's not something that we're not doing well enough. It's, but all that said, I think that thinking about when, when we're thinking about tech integration, taking a step back and just thinking about like how we want to thoughtfully integrate this stuff and that we don't need to integrate all of it all of the time. And we don't need to, you know, do it at this great fast pace. And I think that something that we can all think about is, you know, I know that nobody wants to think back to pandemic emergency remote learning, but I think that Something about that that we can think about is that during that time, we implemented all these tools too quickly, and a lot of people had negative reactions to tools during that time. Like, I think now that we're kind of, you know, moving on with things, some, in some ways, like we've almost moved backwards from where we were because we had some negative reactions to some tools, or we said, like, we were using tools in emergency remote learning, we don't need them anymore we're back to class. Instead of thinking more from this bigger picture, which is where I, I want to help teachers be, thinking bigger picture in terms of like, 
hey, what are problem spots that we have and how might technology be able to solve a piece of the, that problem for us? And so thinking really intentionally about what tech we onboard and why we're onboarding it. I want to just thank you both so much for joining me and having this conversation. It's been really enlightening and insightful, and I just appreciate your time. So thanks again. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thanks for listening to NAIS Member Voices. Also, thanks again to this episode's sponsor, ERB. You can learn more about how to contact them, along with some related NAIS resources from this episode, by visiting nais.org slash membervoices. You can also keep an eye on that page for new podcast episodes and subscribe to automatically receive a new podcast episode each month. Please be sure to listen and then rate and review each new episode and go back and listen to past episodes you might have missed. Finally, don't forget, we always want to hear your stories, questions, and comments. So please send them to us by emailing membership at nais.org.